Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So, for the better part of a year now, we have been working our way through the Gospel of Mark. And over the past few weeks, we've seen Jesus enter Jerusalem triumphantly on the back of a donkey. We've seen him cleanse the temple from money changers, and we've seen him face opposition in the temple courts. And last week, Hunter began Mark chapter 13, which is known as the Olivet Discourse because Jesus had walked out of the temple and then walked up the Mount of Olives, which is directly across from the temple and spends this whole chapter of 13 speaking not to the crowds, but to his disciples about the upcoming destruction of the temple, about future persecutions his people will face. And then lastly, in verses 24 to 37, Jesus speaks of the coming back of the Son of Man, which is the section that we are going to be looking at today. That being said, please Stand for the reading of this passage, which is indeed God's word. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels, and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his own work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Let me begin my sermon by protecting myself. And what I mean by that is I have a very limited amount of time to speak about a passage of scripture that we could spend weeks on. Hunter will oftentimes say, I'm going to give you this view of this, uh, of this text from 20,000 feet. Well, today I'm going to give you a view of what's going on from about 90,000 feet. You may end up with more questions than answers, 
But again, this is a passage that we, we could spend weeks on. That being said, it is never the preacher who works in the hearts and minds of the congregation. It is God and God alone. As Psalm 8410 says, Lord, better is one day in your house than thousands elsewhere. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to gather together this morning to hear your word and to fellowship and to learn more about you. May you speak to our hearts and minds since we know that you are in this place. Amen. So let's jump right in with verse 24. Jesus says to his disciples, but in those days, okay, now stop. Today's passage is all about the events that lead up to those days. So this is what today's sermon will be about. What does the Bible mean when it talks about those days? Now, there are many places in the Old and New Testament where the writers will, will speak about those days or even more often, the last days. The prophet Joel in the Old Testament says that in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. And this is exactly what happens 500 years later at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, you've got apostles from all around the world, and they're gathered together to witness the risen Christ, and then his ascension into heaven. But before Jesus ascends, he said he would leave them a helper or a comforter who would continue to lead them, continue to teach them. This comforter was the Holy Spirit. And Jesus had already told them before that he was going to do this. In John 14, Jesus said, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. Well, didn't the Holy Spirit already exist at the time of creation? And didn't the Holy Spirit work in the lives of the Old Testament believers? And the answer is yes. But at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was finally revealed as a distinct divine person, equal with the Father and with the Son. One God in three persons. And this is why we follow Jesus' instruction, for instance, uh, in baptism. We baptize in the name of the Father and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So you say, well, why is Jeff talking about the Holy Spirit? I thought he was going to talk about those days or tell us about the last days. Well, here's the thing. When Jesus left us with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the last days began. And we're still in the last days now, some 2,000 years later, and we will be in the last days until Jesus comes back. So, what are some events that occur in the last days? I'm going to briefly list seven events that happen in these last days. 
Yes, I said seven, but yes, I said briefly. So here we go, the Magnificent Seven. And it's not as bad as it sounds because they're all sitting here basically in order in our scripture passage. So number one, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. We just mentioned this, the arrival of the Holy Spirit in its full force at Pentecost. Number two, tribulation. Tribulation occurs in the last days. The tribulation in the last days is referring to all the horrific times that God's people have had throughout the history of Christianity, from the destruction of the temple in 70 AD to the tribulation that immediately precedes the second coming of Christ. Number three, sounds like a movie because I think it was, Blood Moon. Let's look at verse 24 and 25. Verse 24, but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Zephaniah, all these prophets say something very similar and speak of this creation catastrophe shortly before Jesus returns. Even the prophet Joel, who we just mentioned, says this, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. So immediately before Jesus returns, there will be great natural disasters, blood moon. Number four in our list of events that occur during the last days, we have the second coming of Jesus. Verse 26, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. This is not symbolism. This is not poetry. This is the return of Jesus Christ to earth as promised. In his 12,000-page book, Systematic Theology, Louis Burkhoff says this. He says that Jesus' return will be personal. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus said. He is the great shepherd who cares about his sheep. Jesus calls us friend. Jesus' return will be physical. When Jesus rose from the grave, was he not physically present? You could touch his hands. You could feel the holes where the nails went through. And then, he, and then Jesus spends 40 days with the apostles physically on earth, and then he ascended back into heaven. Acts chapter 1 captures this. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up in a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two angels stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking at heaven? 
this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So it will be physical. Christ's return will be visible. The author of Hebrews says that Christ, having been offered once to bear sins, uh, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. When Jesus comes back, it will occur suddenly. Well, wait a minute. I thought we would be watching carefully for his return. I'll let Burkhoff handle this one. Burkhoff says, I need to pause here for this one. Here's what Burkhoff says. The Bible intimates that the measure of the surprise at the second coming of Christ will be in an inverse ratio to the measure of their watchfulness. Let me repeat this. The Bible intimates that the measure of the surprise at the second coming of Christ will be in an inverse ratio to the measure of their watchfulness. Burkhoff has spoken. Finally, you have the return of Christ in that it will be gloriously triumphant. Now, I have no idea, but personally, I think that as as glorious and triumphant and holy and awe-inspiring as heaven will be, that the glory that abounds in the return of Christ will be a close second. Maybe, Maybe not at the level of heaven, but it will be pretty amazing. And for this, I turn to Burkhoff one last time. The second coming of Christ, though personal, physical, and visible, will yet be very different from his first coming. He will not return in the body of his humiliation, but in a glorified body and in royal apparel. The clouds of heaven will be his chariot, the angel, his bodyguard, the archangels, his heralds, and the saints of God, his glorious retinue. He will come as King of kings and Lord of lords, triumphant over all the faces of evil, having put all his enemies under his feet. It will truly be a sight to behold. Number five in our list of things that occur during the last days. The gathering of the elect. Look at verse 27. After we see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, Jesus will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. If you remember, what was Jesus' command after the resurrection? Go out to the ends of the earth and spread my message to everyone. Well, when Jesus returns, all of the elect, all those who believe in him, he will scoop up and meet them in the air. Whether they had been eating a burger at McDonald's or whether they had been lying in a cemetery for 500 years, they will meet their king in the air and they will be whisked away into heaven. The McDonald's guy, 
will meet Christ in the air, body and soul, and those in the cemetery will meet Christ in the air in body only, since their souls had already been in heaven from the moment they died. 90,000 feet, let me remind you, 90,000 feet. Our church, Trinity Church, this is a new church. We are a new church in the Memphis area. And we, along with other churches in this city, in this country, in the world, we exist, we really exist for one reason, to glorify God, to learn more about him, and to spread the good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We spread this good news by sending missionaries to Ukraine, pastors to inner cities, and even by telling a buddy at work that, hey, we had a church picnic on Sunday, and we had a really good time. We don't have to browbeat our neighbors with Bible verses or stand on a corner with a megaphone. But yes, as believers, we are called, we are commanded to share the good news of Jesus. I had a roommate for four years who was also a very good friend. He was not religious or spiritual in any way, shape, or form, and I knew he didn't want to hear about it anyway. In those four years, I could count on one hand the number of times I brought up the Bible with my roommate. But those three or four times that I did included telling him the story about Jesus, handing him a great Christian book to read, which he devoured in a couple days, and inviting inviting him to come hear me preach my very first sermon, which he did, and he was there on the front row. In each of these events, although it was over the span of four years, in each of these events, my friend, my roommate, heard the gospel. Sharing our faith with others is to be intentional, yes, but whenever possible, it is also to be relational. Build relationships with your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers. Jesus will return to gather his children from the four corners of the earth, but after the four corners of the earth have heard his good news. Number six, the lesson of the fig tree. Let me read this starting in verse 28. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. You know, in last week's sermon, Jesus prophesied the upcoming destruction of the temple. And he told them, he said, you, yes, you, this very generation will see signs of this, so be ready. The temple of the Lord would be wiped off the face of the earth. 
but the word of the Lord would never pass away because it is eternal. It is infinite. So it is with a fig tree. You have to care for it. You have to nurture it. You have to prepare your best for when it might be ripe. And in regards to those who are alive at the second coming, Jesus is saying, you, yes you, this very generation will see signs of this. So you be ready. Heaven and earth will pass away and be made new, but the word of the Lord will never pass away. Again, it is eternal. It is infinite. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So here's something that you've never heard before. You've never heard this before. In this world, there will be suffering. It's a brand new concept, right? If only this were true. I like what James has to say about suffering and how he also includes being ready to see Jesus as being ready internally or in our hearts. James says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So we are to be ready outwardly, but we are also to be ready inwardly. And last but not least, number seven, no one knows the day or the hour, but stay awake anyway. Verse 32, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake. So it may seem odd that Jesus does not know the day or even the hour of his return that only the Father knows. But remember, Jesus was sent to do the will of his Father. Jesus had two natures, one divine and one human. His human nature had limitations. He could get hungry. He could get cold. He could stub his toe. Consistently in the Bible, Jesus says, I'm not doing my will, but the will of him who sent me, the Father. But he does know this in our passage right here. He says, stay awake. And he says, stay awake twice. So how do we, how do we stay awake? What does it mean to stay awake? Well, we already talked about being ready, both internally and externally, but how do we stay awake? Well, the answer is by not sleeping. In his letter to the Thessalonians, Paul would chastise believers for not working and just sitting around waiting for Christ to return. They were basically sleeping 
sitting around, not working, not fulfilling their duties. And I would have to think they probably weren't sharing the gospel all that well during that time either. Paul has said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But to live in Christ is to actually live, to emulate Christ, to be Christ-like, to love others as yourself, to take care of your households, to tell others about Jesus. Did Jesus himself not work until the very end? I mean, hours before his death, he was still teaching his disciples. On the cross itself, Jesus assures the criminal hanging next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. On the cross, Jesus asked his father to forgive people that beat him and spit on him and mocked him and burned with wrath against him. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. So when Paul tells us to live for Christ, he isn't saying that we should work 100 hours a week. He's saying, don't be consumed by thoughts of what day or what hour Jesus is coming back. For some people, this is not an issue. Some people just never think about it. Then you have some people who dread thinking about Christ's return. Maybe it sounds scary, or maybe they feel guilty about something, or, or frankly, maybe they're enjoying their current life a lot, and they don't, want, they don't want it interrupted. And then for others, you have the exact opposite. Life seems unbearable, and they're ready for him to return ASAP or they've experienced death and the loss of loved ones, and they long to be with them in heaven. And both of these reasons are understandable. But for those who believe in the one true God who died for our sins and then adopted us as children into his own family, we must have faith that Jesus will come back at the perfect appointed time. To die is gain, as Paul puts it, but we must first live for Christ. Also, we don't want Jesus to come back today. We don't want him to come back right now. He doesn't want to come back right now. Not until he has gathered all his sheep from around the world, in every corner of the globe, in every tongue, tribe, nation, then he will return without delay. And contrary to popular belief, God doesn't drag things out. God doesn't waste time. From the moment Adam and Eve ate the apple and ushered sin into humanity, God has been on a mission redeem my people. And he did. When the Son followed the will of the Father and died on the cross for our sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word tells us that your Son will return for his people. May we do what has been commanded of us and share your good news 
with those here in our city and around the world, knowing that your timing is perfect. Lord, give us the strength and give us the patience to live for Christ until that triumphant and glorious day appears. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.